Hi, my name is Laura Blackman, and I'm doing the scripture reading today. It's Nehemiah 8, verses 1 to 12, if you want to follow along. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, st- stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masiah. And on his left were Pediah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jezebad, Hanan, and Pelaliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our God. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still. For this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Thank you. Give Laura a round of applause for pronouncing all of those names, eh? That's not easy. She, she told me that she practiced. I also practiced, but I'm not even going to attempt it. Okay. Uh, my name is Kurt Buchanan. I have the privilege of sharing with you uh, from the Word this morning. And just, again, just want to say hello to our online crowd. If you're watching from home, we're glad that you're with us too. And why don't you let yourself be known by making a chat uh, comment in the chat window. We'd love to hear from you and that you're watching today. Uh, when my father came to Hillcrest to pastor in 1992, the church was in need of a lot of healing. The years that had led up to that point were difficult for a number of reasons. There was a church 
building project. We're now in that building. But it came with financial crisis. There was also moral failure amongst the leadership. There was this church split happening, and uh, attendance was dwindling. A church that had seen victory after victory since 1923 was crippled and weak and in danger of being snuffed out. Now, there have always been faithful people here in the church, and even in very difficult circumstances, God still does good things, but it was a difficult season. And those of you who were here know it even better than I do. I've only heard the stories of what was happening here during that time. Um, But it was so difficult that people were talking about it. Everyone was talking about it, talking about what had gone wrong, who was to blame, and what should be done about it all. When my father accepted the position to come and pastor here at Hillcrest, he started getting advice. Well-meaning people started to kind of tell him what they would do if they were in his shoes. Perhaps other pastors from other places, that kind of thing, were giving him advice, whether he was asking for it or not. And uh, amongst all of the advice, he appreciated um, one particular statement that came out. And in fact, it might have actually been in response to all of this advice that my dad was giving. Joseph Matson, father to David Matson, was a longtime missionary with ACOP. He was a courageous trailblazer and well-respected by all. He had the opportunity to kind of hear, overhear some of this wisdom that my dad was receiving. And knowing much of the years that had um, taken place, the desperate situation the church was in, Joseph spoke up and said, this church needs to celebrate more. The statement stood out amongst all of the advice that my father had been given. Celebration was kind of the last thing on a lot of people's minds. No one felt like celebrating. Many of the others shared good advice, but my father felt that Joseph Matson had shared the word of the Lord with him. So in a season that seemed really easy to complain, um, to grumble, to lament, and really hard to celebrate, Hillcrest began to celebrate one step at a time. And bit by bit, transformation began to take place. Now, other seasons, difficult seasons, have come and gone. But did you know that to this day, this service is called the celebration service? Even the budget line for sound equipment and for photocopies hosting these events has the word celebration in it to remind us when we're crunching the numbers to celebrate. Nearly 30 years later, I think Joseph's advice to us is still one of the most important things that we need to hear. It is the word of the Lord to us, I believe. Despite the breakthrough that came, um, Hillcrest, you know, as we began to celebrate, um, I think we still have not quite arrived. See, there are things that are worth celebrating, but for a number of reasons, our expressions are muted. Even when we ought to, When we want to, we hold back. Many of us, anyways. There are cultural reasons why, I'm sure, many of us here at Hillcrest are quiet, polite, and reserved. But show me where in the scripture it encourages us to worship the Lord with politeness and reservation. I don't recall a Bible verse that says, Hum to the Lord with apathy and indifference. Placing your hands in your pockets to the Lord, the God of creation. 
I don't recall a verse like that. And rather than being held back by our personalities, our fears, or our pride, we need to learn to celebrate as our true and best selves. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning by looking at, again, Nehemiah to a time when God's people didn't really feel like celebrating, but they chose to. But before we hop into today's scripture, let's do a quick recap of where we are. Last week, we launched our Discipleship Pathway series, and essentially our Discipleship Pathway going forward. Our hope is that our Discipleship Pathway is a simple but comprehensive spiritual journey for everyone to find their next step to becoming a disciple who makes disciples. Now, we know that discipleship is complex. Um, We know that everyone is on their own journey, but we believe that these are important categories for discipleship. We believe that if someone fully participates in this pathway, that they'll be well on their way to becoming a mature disciple of Christ. So here's the five categories if you've missed them. Celebrate big. Connect small. Walk with Jesus. Share the work and engage in mission. Now, Steve did a great job of, of overviewing this last week and introducing this discipleship pathway. And we also introduced you to a reflection tool for you to consider how you're doing spiritually in relationship to these categories. So, last week, if you were here, you remember there was about 86 of you who actually participated, completed the, our discipleship pathway assessment, and were able to identify your next step of obedience, which is exciting for us. We're so glad that you took the time to do that. And we want to be here to support you as you take your next uh, step. If you told us that your next step was um, going to Alpha, you know, we'll send you reminders about when it's happening, all of the details. If you can't make it here in the fall when we're launching Alpha this Tuesday, um, again, we're launching it again in the end of February. If you really think Alpha is a next step for you, we're going to remind you then because this is something that, again, you told us. We're just here to support you, okay? Again, other people made different kinds of commitments, and I'll let you know a little bit about that, a little bit about that in a minute. Um, but if you didn't get the chance to do the reflection, you can do it right now. If you've got a mobile device, if you're comfortable on a, on a smartphone, you can navigate your way to, uh, again, hillcrestmj.com. You can find our self-assessment uh, uh, there. You can do this reflection, and you can begin to kind of pray through these categories, and think about steps that you could take this year that will help you on your spiritual journey. So you can do that even right now before you uh, leave this, uh, this morning. You can fill out that assessment and do that. Now, if you're not comfortable with uh, a mobile device, if you still have a flip phone or something like that, uh, you're welcome to do a paper copy. We do have those available. You can grab one of those. and then, But just make sure that you leave it with our team here today because, again, you, we want you to prayerfully reflect, but then we want to support you. So you have to let us know what you thought your next steps were. Okay, so feel free. Right now, you can go ahead and do that. And I'll let you know, here's a few ways that people responded last week. 86 people, again, reflected about their next steps, which is awesome. We're encouraged by how many people have already done this. 26 people said that they need to come to church with an intentional attitude about unity and engagement. So again, some people were maybe holding back. They want to be more intentional about that. Ten families want to dedicate their children to Jesus this year. That's exciting. That's awesome. Sixteen said that they need to join a disciple-making group. Lots of our groups are launching right now. Uh, We want to encourage you to go ahead and take those steps if you said this was important to you. Ten people said that they will attend a set-free within the year. That's great. 
We've got one coming up in March, uh, so don't miss it. 13 people said that they're going to attend the Hearing God seminar this year. That's wonderful. Six people said that they need to start coming to our prayer summits. 34 people said that they need to learn more about how to share the gospel. Eight people said they're going to come to Alpha. 20 people said that they need to invite somebody to Alpha or to church on a Sunday morning. 15 people said that they need to learn more about their spiritual gifts. We're going to try to help you with that. 40 people said they need to start a prayer list and pray consistently for their friends or family who don't know Jesus. 33 people said that they need to be intentional about developing their friendships with people who are far from God. That's awesome. That's wonderful. Okay, this week we're talking about celebrate big. Okay, we believe in celebrating the glory of God together in big gatherings and in big ways. From the earliest days in the Christian movement, believers met regularly in the temple courts with numbers of three to 5,000 people. Like the early church, we emphasize the necessity of corporate preaching, teaching, worship, prayer, and communion to encounter God together as his people. The things we do when we're gathered as his church help, us to, help to spur us on when we follow Jesus throughout the rest of the week. We are called to celebrate the goodness of God together in a big way. Celebrate big. Now, we often look to the New Testament church, as we are in this series, to establish practices for how we do things today in the church. But we mustn't forget that the New Testament church began with mostly Jewish people from the nation of Israel. And God had already been working out his plan for salvation through that nation for thousands of years. And Jesus himself affirms the Old Testament scriptures and says that they're all about him. There is purpose and meaning throughout the whole Bible. And the New Testament writers, they help us to understand and relate to the Old Testament uh, scriptures, even though we're not Israelites, most of us. If we follow their advice, we can go to the Old Testament and understand what God is saying to us today. Okay, Israel had a number of different festivals. They were instructed to have a variety of different celebrations and feasts. Uh, some were weekly, like the Sabbath day. Others were monthly, like moon festivals. Others were annual, like Passover. And still others were celebrated every seven years, or every seven times seven years, which is either 49 or 50, because it was this large celebration that took place in the nation. But Paul, again, being the New Testament writer who's helping us understand the Old Testament scriptures, says this in the book of Colossians. This is chapter 2, verse 16 to 17. Therefore, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So this people was commanded to have these kind of celebrations, and they were only a shadow. There was the Passover meal, which was celebrating deliverance from death. Again, they would sacrifice a lamb, and the whole um, celebration would take place that day. It would actually last then a further, a whole week, and it became known as the Festival of Unleavened Bread. And again, they would abstain from uh, yeast, which was a sign for sin in their bread, that kind of thing. And it was thinking of freedom from sin and slavery. There was festivals of first fruits. Again, when they first came into the promised land and they were able to see the first fruits of going into that promised land, they celebrated. And they had a whole festival about that. It was the bounty of the promised land. They only had a little bit, 
a little taste, but they knew that there was so much more coming, and so they would celebrate. Festival of Weeks was a festival of joy at harvest time. When they would bring in the harvest, they would celebrate. There was the festival of trumpets. They'd come in, they'd make sacrifices, and there was all this music that would happen. And then it became a day of rest for the whole nation. They would all gather in for this day of rest. Um, There was the Feast of Tabernacles. Again, as the fruit harvest would come in, there would be winemaking and celebration happening. They would celebrate the fruitfulness of the land. Now, again, these were a shadow um, that found reality in what we have in Christ. So if they were commanded to celebrate, and these things were only a shadow, how much more we who know the reality of Jesus in our lives, we have so much more reason to celebrate. Because of Jesus, we have deliverance from death. We have freedom from sin. We can enter the kingdom now, even though we'll experience its fullness later. The fullness of his kingdom, uh, we get to celebrate Jesus coming back again and the launching of a celebration that won't know any end. Again, in the reality of Jesus, we have way more reason to celebrate. So we're going to hop back into our text from Nehemiah because I believe we can point out a number of things from this particular um, part of the Bible that will help us to process celebrating and celebrating big. So Nehemiah 8, 1 to 12. Again, Laura read it for us. Let's take a closer look and highlight a few things. There's a number of comments I'm going to make on verse 1, but I promise the other verses will go a little bit quicker. Okay? Verse number 1 says, All of the people came together as one. Some translations even say came together as one man. The whole nation one became one like a one person. If you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you should be present when the church gathers. If you're reading through the New Testament, you should notice how many times it says all of the believers. They ate together, served together, worshipped and prayed together. They faced challenges together. Rather than being divided by the challenges they faced, they pursued unity. When the church gathers, it becomes like an outpost or an embassy of the kingdom of heaven. And it demonstrates his rule and reign. Again, he said you would be known Um, that he would be known by our love. And that happens when we're together. If we remain isolated and alone, it's simply not the case. We won't be known as the ones who love each other so much that everyone stands back and says, what's happening here? That's what happened in the New Testament uh, church. All of the other nations and different cultures around looked in at the church and said, how on earth are they doing this? There's slaves and free and Jews and Gentiles and all kinds of people. There's men and women all there, and somehow they are one. And that is how we will be known that we are truly his disciples when that happens. So Jesus called his church, you know, his movement, his gathering, his assembly. He used a very specific word. He called it the ecclesia, which is a Greco-Roman political word. Again, we think of the church, and we try to understand what exactly the church is, and we back up sometimes only to that word and think, yeah, the church, I know what the church is, but the word that he used actually had understanding for everyone who heard it for the first time already. They knew what an ecclesia was, okay? So, as he used a very specific word, again, the ecclesia is the gathering of the citizens of a nation. When we have church, it is the citizens of the kingdom of heaven gathering together. Now, I haven't offended anybody. That's just the people who are being baptized today going out to take a bit of a class, okay? 
just so you know. We're going to experience baptism today. It's going to be awesome, a great chance to celebrate. So Jesus called this, uh, his movement, the ecclesia, the gathering of the citizens of a nation. So when we have church, it is the citizens of the kingdom of heaven gathering together. If you're not a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, or if you are, sorry, if you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, this should be a top priority for you, not just something that you fit in when you can. Now, the gatherings of the ecclesia would have numbered in the thousands. In certain cities, when they gathered, it would be thousands of people rallying together. Now, sometimes people will quote from Matthew 18, 20, where it says, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. But this actually is also in reference to ecclesia. This was part of the Greco-Roman understanding of ecclesia. It was answering the minimum requirement for Greco-Roman citizens to gather and meet officially. And, so he, and yes, where two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, he is there. Throughout this pandemic, we have been meeting in smaller groups, sometimes families just joining online to be a part of what we're doing. And these gatherings, again, they count. He is there among us, even when they're smaller. Official gatherings can be small, even when it's two or three. It's official kingdom business. But, uh, again, this is small is never the end game. Again, the church can prevail in, when large gatherings are not possible, but it's not the end game to stay small. This statement about the ecclesia in terms of the Greco-Roman understanding was about the exception to the common understanding that wherever possible, all citizens would gather to discuss the realities facing the nation and make action to see it flourish and prosper. Okay, I don't mean to be heavy, but sometimes I am. I understand that. <laughs> um, we know the realities of life. We're not trying to say you have to be at every single thing that the church ever does, every single event on the calendar. That's not what we're trying to say at all. We, we have a variety of different things that are happening, and we hope you take in whatever is going to be helpful for you on your journey. If it's going to Alpha, go to Alpha. If it's mom's time out, go to mom's time out. Being a part of a life group, joining a ministry team, all of those are good things. We don't expect that you're supposed to be just at every single thing. That could be actually really bad and dangerous for you if you were to do that. But when we gather to worship, when we gather to preach and teach the word, when we pray, we should come together as one. Okay? It's okay to miss a Sunday. Totally fine. But just by coming to one of our Sunday morning, you fulfill all of these, uh, most of these things. When we say gather together for worship, for teaching, for being together, for communion, you should be present for those things. I really encourage you, be present for those things. Prioritize being together when the church gathers. In addition to our Sunday mornings, we invite you to come to seven events for prayer called our prayer summits. They happen the first Sunday night of October, November, and December. During our week of prayer in January, the dates will be determined uh, at a later time. Then we also meet again in March, April, and May. Again, the first Sunday of the month at 6.30. So next Sunday at 6.30 here in the auditorium, we're going to gather to pray. So I would just say, if you have immovable things on a Sunday night that would prevent you from coming, plead with us to find a different time. Okay? If more of you can be together on a Tuesday morning at 6 a.m., we'll do it then. 
Okay? But these seven calendar appointments for prayer are for all of Hillcrest to gather together for prayer. And again, we know that some schedules won't allow it. We understand. We're people too, okay? All right, but these are intended for all of us to gather together for prayer. If you're part of Hillcrest, if you're a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, this is the nation gathering together. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I hope so. So please join us for our prayer summits. Um, Again, next Sunday, 6.30. But again, there's seven of them this year. Please join with us. Now, again, this big idea still scares some of us, big church. From the day of Pentecost forward, though, the church was made of many thousand, thousands of people. Again, Peter stands up after being filled with the Holy Spirit. He preaches, boom, the church grows to several thousand people. They have to deal with that reality right out of the gate. And I know some people don't like the idea of big church. In fact, many people have left from Hillcrest to go to a different congregation because they felt like even this was too large for them. Some of you couldn't stomach living in, the, in a city like Toronto or New York City or Vancouver or Los Angeles. You're not city folk, okay? I get it. There's things. I lived in Toronto for a while. There's things to love and hate about cities. But guess what? History starts in a garden, and it ends in a city. If you don't like cities very much, you might not like heaven, okay? It's described as a giant city, the city of God, some people have put it. And here's Revelation. (laughs) Sorry, some of you needed a moment to take that in. (laughs) Like, oh boy. Okay, Revelation. But I promise, again, all of the things that we might hate about cities now in the presence and leadership of our Lord, it's going to be very different. In Revelation uh, 7, verse 9, we get to see a picture of the city of God. He describes it, There before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Life groups, you're going to dig into Revelation a little bit more this week as we consider that idea. Okay, it's okay to want to be known and cared for, to find your place in a small crowd. That's why we have another category in our discipleship pathway called Connect Small. But we we believe that's a, a, a good place to grow and be loved and cared for. But we also believe that we're supposed to be big and continue to get larger. I don't know if you know this, but we want to see many thousands of people in Moose Jaw Come to know Jesus. And we want to be able to host many of those people here. And so, again, this facility is way too small. In fact, all of the churches in all of Musha, every single one of those seats, there is not enough for the people we want to see in our region get saved and come to know him. We see multitudes. Okay? So we want you to connect small. We want you to celebrate and celebrate big. Okay. That was verse 1. We're going to move quicker through these other verses, I promise. Okay, Uh, verse 2, men and women and all who are able to understand. So, again, this is men and women. Again, children, you know, if they could understand, if they were at that age, they would be there. Again, it wasn't distinguishing between servants and masters, you know, nobles and not so noble. It didn't matter what your station was. You were there. Okay? And public preaching is meant to be understood. That's why we don't conduct our services in Latin. Did you know that sometimes they conducted services in an entirely different language than the people understood? I don't think that works well. 
I don't think that tradition comes out of the scripture either. Okay, see, verse 2, done. Verse 3, he read it aloud from daybreak till noon. Again, or the other part is, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Daybreak till noon. Brace yourself for much longer sermons. Okay, no, I, I promise we, we won't do that. No, no wonder they were weeping <laughs> in here, right? They were, they were at church for a very long time. Okay, but even during that long of a sermon, they worked hard at paying attention. They wanted clarification. The leadership was there in helping them do all of that kind of stuff. Uh, verse 4, based uh, beside him on his right stood, Lord did a great job of all these names, but six people. Uh, and on his left, you know, there was seven people. All their team, okay? They had a team approach to leading and to teaching. And this is very similar to how we approach things at Hillcrest. We have an elders team. They diligently have crafted a statement of faith. and They hold us to that. They meet monthly with our lead pastor to review how things are going, and they uh, hold them accountable to what is being taught. Uh, again, there's a teaching team. We work together, again, staff people as well as lay volunteers to create the series and, and to come up with the messages that we have. Even though some, you know, we don't have people standing on stage with us, when I'm standing here, I'm not standing alone. I'm standing with all of our other um, teachers. And if any one particular person were to be out of line or something, again, that team would bring um, correction and clarity both to the person who was maybe out of line but also to the whole body. We believe this team approach should go through our whole organization. Okay, Ezra opened the book, and the people stood up. Uh, that tra- uh, tradition, when the word is being read for people to stand, uh, it's been practiced kind of all over the world in various traditions. It's not always customary here at Hillcrest. Uh, and yet, what I think the point is, is they were saying, we believe the authority is not in the opinions of Ezra or the preacher or other things. But we believe the authority is God and his word and what he says to us. You don't have to follow or, or you know, base your life on my opinions. But when the word of God speaks to you, it should be an authority to you. That's why the people stood up. Again, a disciple is someone who understands the teaching of Christ, obeys it personally, and teaches others to be obedient to that as well. Okay, verse 6. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So Ezra leads worship, he praises God, and all the people participated. They lifted their hands together. They worshiped. They responded aloud together with their amens. They bowed down together. Okay, verse 8. They read from the book of the law, making it clear. Or even making it clear might be translating it. Remember, some of these people were raised in Babylon, and maybe they didn't even speak Hebrew. Or maybe he didn't understand Hebrew very well. And again, part of uh, continuing in verse 8, and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. We've got three strategic anchors. Our first one is excellence and relevance and communication and programming. Again, the second is our clear discipleship pathway. The third one is dependence on the Holy Spirit. But we want to do our best to communicate with excellence and relevance. We want to make the truth of God clear. That's not easy. Public speaking is still ranked number one for the greatest fear, even above death, for most people. It's true. They've, they've asked people, and, and the numbers say public speaking is still number one. 
Now, even if you have enough courage to be a public speaker, that doesn't make you a good one, right? How many of you have been at a wedding and heard a very awkward toast? Yeah, I've, I've been there. I can tell you stories later. It takes a lot of time, spiritual and emotional energy to prepare and even more to, de- to deliver compelling, clear sermons. Some people can do it more naturally than others. Some are quite dynamic, which is great. You know, humor is great, all of those things. But still, it's a challenge to do that week after week. We don't lean on one person to do all of the teaching around here. Again, we see that we should tackle it together as a team. In fact, this is the pattern that even the apostles uh, used as well. When Peter stood up to address the crowds in Acts, in Acts 2.14, it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Uh, We want to work together in preparation. We want to evaluate, correct, rebuke each other, build each other up so that we become, over time, better and better at communicating God's Truth, again, this is something that we want for here uh, in this room, but in all of the spaces uh, around Hillcrest. We want to put extra energy and priority on clear communication of God's truth. Verse 9, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Now, there's probably a number of reasons why uh, they were weeping. Encounter with God can be just powerfully emotionally. Again, maybe it was the six to nine hour long sermon Uh, The nation was rebuilding, though. There was hope. They had just rebuilt their walls. Maybe that's why they were emotional. But the nation was, again, a fraction of what it once was. That would have been maybe depressing for some. But what we do know about the law from the New Testament is that the law reveals sin. Keeping the law is too difficult for us on our own. And that's a reason to weep. That's a reason to mourn. But in verse 10, Nehemiah says, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Again, verse 11, Then the Levites calmed the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. There is a time to grieve. But we are also supposed to set it aside when the time comes. You don't have to be a slave to your emotions. This is also not about pretending that everything's fine when it's not. This isn't suggesting we be hypocritical. This is about a deliberate choice to see God's goodness and to celebrate. Verse 12. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. How do you go from weeping to celebrating? The leadership instructed them to switch gears, but if their circumstances hadn't changed, you know, if that was the reason why they were weeping, those hadn't really changed. But if they were weeping because of the weight of the law, how were they able to get out from underneath it so quickly? What had been made known to them? See, they were making the word of the Lord clear. All through the scripture, we see Christ. Jesus himself explained how it was all about him. Somewhere in here, they must have encountered his grace. We know that Jesus fulfills the law and offers us his righteousness. And even though they didn't know it all then, like we do now, looking back at Christ, they had to look forward in faith and trust that God would make a way to free them from the law of sin and death. The joy of the Lord. The Lord is joyful. Let that sink in. If you think Christian spirituality is about keeping a stiff upper lip, 
or a somber, rigid attitude, or it's about weeping all the time, it's simply not the case. It is an abundant life. The word of the Lord to you might be, why so serious? Or lighten up, or loosen up. He is the Lord of joy. His first miracle, John would even say his prime miracle, was making more wine for a wedding feast. And your strength comes from his joy. Why is he joyful? Hebrews 12, 2 says this, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy set before him, he endured. What was his joy? His joy was you looking forward at you, at all of the multitudes that would come into the kingdom because of his work on the cross. Multitudes of people will enjoy eternal, abundant life with God because of uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. He is filled with joy at the thought of us. We are his joy, and his joy should be our strength, that he loves us. If we focus on that, our lives will be entirely different, remarkable lives. If you want to go from weeping to celebrating, if you want an inner strength, an indomitable spirit, look at Jesus' love for you, giving his life for you, that his joy is set on you, that he wants a relationship with you, that he wants to ex- you to experience eternal, abundant life. If you truly set your heart on him, embrace him, there will be no stopping your praise. If you've never made a decision to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior, can I have you pray this with me? Very simple prayer. Father in heaven, thank you that you love me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Would you help me live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit? Amen. So Nehemiah, wrap up, and then I want to give us an opportunity to go through our assessments again if you haven't done that. So Nehemiah, wrap up. They were all together as one. Would you prioritize being together when we can be together? They worshiped together. They bowed down. They let the word be the authority. Their leadership were united, and they worked hard to make the message clear. And because of the Lord, they set aside grieving for celebration. And we started this series with Matthew 28, 19, verse 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We want to be a people who are obedient to his teaching, not only personally, but also in the way that we become disciples of others. So here's a few ways, again, for you to be obedient and celebrate big. And again, you can go uh, to our website if you want to fill out that online assessment and reflect there, okay? Even if you completed it last week, you can still go in there and reflect again this week, okay? Here's ways to be obedient under Celebrate Big. Prioritize Sunday morning gatherings. I hope that's clear. Some of you have a list of excuses why you don't go to church, but in reality, it's not your list. It's the enemy's list for you. Yes, there are real and genuine reasons why you can't make it every week. We understand that. Again, I'm not trying to beat you up about those things, but I will try to beat you up a little bit and say, the devil doesn't want you here. He doesn't want you here, and he's, he's smart. He's cunning. He's going to use every single thing he can to keep you from hearing the word, being with other believers, and encountering God here in the assembly. Can he use your kids' sports events for that? Yes. 
Can he use your much-needed family or downtime for that? Yes. Can he use the fight you just had with your spouse? Yes. He will use anything that he can to keep you away from here and gathering for worship. Again, you will be a coal out of the fire and lose all of your heat, and then you will find yourself in some kind of faith crisis. Okay, here it is. I believe this is a step of obedience for us all. Attending church is a keystone habit that can make, if you do it, or break, if you don't, your faith. And when you come, come with an intentional attitude of unity, engaging, engagement, and worship. Don't make the effort to be here and then kind of check out. Stay engaged, please. Do whatever you need to. Stand, you know, clapping and singing, taking notes if you need to. Can I say something about worship? Sing when it's time to sing. Clap when it's time to clap your hands. Raise your hands. Cheer, shout, dance. All of these are acceptable and encouraged throughout the scripture for worship. I got tons of verses about singing. I won't get into all of them today. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. Sing praise to his name. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music on the harp. If there's room for instrumental music, it's still worship. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. One that my dad thought was a joke is out of Judges. This is for the people who are out there. I'm not really a singer. I'm a bit tone deaf. I've been told to please stop that when I've been singing. This is for you. Um, my dad thought this was perhaps a tone-deaf person who said this. Hear this, you, ki- you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. So sing, please. When we sing, let's sing together and worship him. Clap. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Hallelujah actually means that thing. Shouting, cheering, hallelujah. Praise God with your woohoo! Okay? Shout. You can take a baby step and just say something like, praise Jesus. That counts. That's a good baby step. And from there, you can amp up the volume and the enthusiasm and the excitement as your heart warms to that idea. Bow down. Come. Let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. All of the ends of the earth will remember and turn to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. Also, dance. Again, you will take up your timbrels and go out and dance with the joyful. The young women will dance and be glad. The young men and the old as well. That wraps up everybody. I don't know if you noticed that. Young and old, men and women, everybody. And celebrate to the Lord in dancing, okay? Now, Um, I really do need to move on quickly because we want to celebrate baptism together. Um, Here's a few ground rules for worship here at Hillcrest, okay? Corporate worship is about us worshiping Jesus together. So we want attention to be on Jesus, and we want to celebrate together. So here's more clarification on that. We want the attention on Jesus, not on us as worshipers. So we don't want to intentionally distract other people by the things that we're doing. But if you are distracted by someone who loves Jesus doing any of these acceptable acts of worship that the scripture encourages, it is your heart issue to deal with. If you see someone who loves Jesus, 
who is dancing before him, singing and shouting your praise, you shouldn't be offended. You shouldn't be weirded out. You shouldn't be distracted. You should join them. Okay? Did you hear that? If you see someone who loves Jesus dancing before him, singing his praise, you shouldn't be offended, weirded out, or distracted. You should join them. They're worshiping the Lord. Okay? Now, if someone is out of line with their behavior, if their heart isn't in the right place, our leadership will approach them like spiritual mothers and fathers and encourage them warmly and give them the correction that they need. Is that okay? Okay, we want to participate together. In Nehemiah, they stood together as one. They raised their hands together. They shouted together. They bowed down together. They wept together. They celebrated and feasted together, together, together. Okay? So if you look around and see that everyone is raising their hands during a song of surrender, it probably isn't the right time to start a conga line. It would be a bit out of place. And if there is a conga line, and there might be someday, I don't know, if there is a conga line, it might be a bad time to bow down. You'll get trampled. Together is important. Now, also, if you don't see anyone else waving a brightly colored flag, hold on to yours until you have a conversation with maybe one of the worship leaders or other pastors here at the church about where that fits here at Hillcrest, okay? Worship leaders are meant to keep us together. They often give direction by saying, stand and sing with us. Sing, clap your hands, raise your hands. And many of you do those things, and that's wonderful. We don't often say, cheer, shout, or dance, or start a conga line. We don't often say, bow down, raise your flags high to the Lord. But going forward, be prepared, we might. Because all of these things are fine in the scripture. These are acts of worship that are laid before us as ways that we can participate, celebrate, and worship our Lord. So, you've been warned. Let's keep the focus. Let's keep the focus on Jesus. So don't create unnecessary distractions for people. And let's worship together with all of our hearts. Okay, I'll only say one other thing. Going public with your faith and getting baptized. We're about to do that. Today we're celebrating these baptisms. If you haven't been baptized, uh, you know, go for it. This could be a great step of obedience for you. But if you have been baptized... I would encourage you to continue to go public with your faith. There's a variety of scriptures that deal with how believers should act in relationship to unbelievers in their midst. It is assumed that there would be and should be people who are at church who are just here checking it out. Okay? If we want to see our church grow with new believers on average, it will take each of you inviting someone to church every single week. That's 52 invitations a week. I've seen some research done on this dynamic. Churches that are growing have that kind of rate of invitation. One invitation per, work, per, uh, per week per person. Okay, because this is the reality. Not everyone that you invite is going to come. And not everyone who comes once will stay. But guess what? Some people will come and they will have an encounter with Jesus and their lives and perhaps the lives of their entire families will be changed forever. So don't be nervous, okay? And you're thinking, how would that ever come up? Okay, I bet every single person has been asked this question before. Do you have any big plans this weekend? Have you heard that before? 
you talk about mowing the lawn and other things that you're doing, but just say, going to church, it's great. I love it. I love Jesus. Uh, you should come. If somebody asks you that question, do you have any big plans this weekend? Tell them, yes, I'm going to church. You should come. Check it out. They might say, no, and I now despise you as a person. That might happen, <laughs> but it might not. It's okay to share your crazy ideas about spirituality, because guess what? That's what they do. <laughs> okay, we're going to celebrate baptism here. Can I just pray for you as we wrap up this uh, teaching time? Pray with me. Jesus, we have so much to be grateful for in you. Help us as a people to celebrate like we were meant to. Let this place be known for how it celebrates, but even more that as a people, we would be able to demonstrate that we celebrate, that we have hope in you, joy in you, that the joy of you becomes our strength. Help us to celebrate like we were truly meant for. Help us to have a glimpse into uh, what it's like in heaven when they celebrate there. Help us to set aside our fear, our pride, our politeness, whatever it might be, and let's worship.